Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. We're going to be going to Acts chapter 11 uh, for our message today. And, uh, you know, all over the world, people imagine that they are born into some religion. It's just the way it works. Uh, we in America kind of, we may not have that kind of feeling, but all over the world, they're, they're and, and, you know, born into a certain culture. You're normally born into a, in, into a very definite religion. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're born a Muslim, you're born, you know, a Buddhist, you're born a Hindu, you're, 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 you're born in that, in that uh, um, religion and people uh, also around the world we don't recognize it as much as Christians here but uh, people are born Christians if for example you were to go with me to Nazareth you would see that there's you know there's people uh, there are born Christian they're you know uh, born uh, Muslims they're, I mean and it's you know they're born Druze and uh, it's, it's not, by, uh, not by any other association, but just born Christian. So when you talk to, uh, to somebody about becoming a Christian, witnessing around the world, whenever you say, you know, would you like to become a Christian? They go, no. I mean, it's, 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 it, it puts them off. The reason being is because of their, uh, their understanding that that's like, you know, I mean, if you're not Hispanic... It would be like me saying, would you like to become a Hispanic? And you go, no. I mean, I don't even, how's that even possible? I have no frame of reference for that. You know, would you like to become an Asian? No, I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm, that's how foreign it is to become a Christian in, in anywhere but America, basically. So what we, when we witness, we talk to people about becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. Because anyone can take a step to believe, but they don't imagine that they could go back into a, a mother's womb and be born something different. Does that make sense? They have no frame of reference for that. Uh, and so many times when we're witnessing uh, to people, we need to realize that, that uh, you know, becoming a believer in Jesus Christ is, is consciously and, uh, you know, acceptable and doable. But then after they become a believer in Jesus Christ, many times they can be educated and grow to the place to where they, then they embrace the name of being a Christian because they learn what that means. It's not just a birth analogy. You see, you cannot be born a Christian. Okay? It's not possible. Although around the world, many people are born into Christian families or Christian cultures. And therefore, they imagine themselves to be Christians. It also happens uh, to some extent in America. Because in America, we are a Christian nation. You know, it's evident because our laws are founded on Judean Judeo-Christian uh, 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 principles. Uh, if you go to a country that the founding fathers were not believers in Jesus Christ, you will not find in their constitutions things like freedom of speech. 
you know, uh, protections that we, that, that we embrace because our founding fathers had a firm conviction that Jesus Christ was Lord and, and, and no government was Lord. Okay? Yeah. And so it's, it's absolutely incomprehensible to many people around the world that anyone in America would say that we're not a Christian nation. They go, huh? You know, they are fighting for the rights and the privileges that we have. And we have them because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was the, what was at front and foremost considered. And the word of God was, was, was in the prime consideration when our government of our nation was founded and formed. Well, Christian means a lot to a lot of different people. And this morning, that is the title of my message, Christians. Okay. We're going to learn a little bit out of Acts chapter 11. Some of the things that we read over in Acts chapter 11 uh, 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 lead us up to a point. Let me, let me catch us up. And don't forget, Wednesday nights we're going through the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 13 this coming week, okay? But uh, let's, let's back up a little bit here and let me set the stage. By the time we get to Acts 11 and verse 19, a few things have happened in this new, you know, uh, thing. You know, I mean, Jesus had been crucified, he was buried, and he was resurrected. And he appeared to more than 500 people after his resurrection. And then 120 of those people were in the upper room and they were filled on the day of Pentecost with the Holy Spirit and God gave them power to be a witness. They went out into the streets and there were people there in the streets, Jews in the streets, that heard in their own language. And they came from all over the world. They heard in their own cultural native language. They were from Cyprus. They were from, you know, North Africa. They were from islands in the sea. They were from all over, uh, you know, uh, Eurasia. They, they were there from everywhere. And they heard in their own native language these men and women glorifying God. And they believed. And these Jews in Jerusalem got saved got born again, and they became believers in Jesus as Messiah. You see, God had been promising to send Messiah to the Jews. God chose the Jews. He chose Israel to be his own people. The Bible says he loved them and he set his love upon them. And it was through them that he decided he was going to send his son as Messiah, as Savior, as Redeemer of all mankind. And there he sent him and the Jews were the first to receive the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. And they imagined that salvation was only for them. Well, the church in Jerusalem began to grow. It was growing only on Jews because they were only preaching the gospel they, uh, to Jews. And they believed that only Jews could be saved. 
And so they were telling Jews about Jesus and Jews were believing and Jews were, you know, the, the church was growing by thousands. Well, it became a very sore spot with the religious leaders of Judaism in Jerusalem. And many groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some other groups began to persecute the church in Jerusalem. Those who believed in Jesus were being persecuted. I mean, taken off to jail and, and, and you'll struggle against. And some of them were even being executed. One such was a man named Stephen. He was a young adult, spirit-filled, charismatic young adult in the church in Jerusalem. And he had become a deacon in the church. He was helping with the food pantry. He was so full of the Holy Spirit and so full of Jesus that he went around telling everybody how good Jesus was and he would pray for the sick and they would get healed and God would do things through him and it was just making the religious leaders more and more angry because more and more people were turning from the synagogue and started going to the church. So a group of young men got together and went over and began to debate and argue with Stephen. Well, it turned into a riot, and they drug him off. You've, you know, we, you've read about this probably in the book of Acts, and they executed him. They stoned him to death. That really emboldened those religious groups of Jews in Jerusalem so that they really began to persecute Christians. They really began to persecute the believers in Jesus. At that time, they were called Nazarenes. At that time, they were called disciples. At that time, they were called Galileans because they followed Jesus from Galilee, Jesus from Nazareth. Well, it ends up that people are very afraid, people in the church, and they begin to scatter and they run everywhere. They go everywhere they can. Some of them, the Bible says, went as far as Antioch. Now, Antioch was the capital city and the commercial center of Syria at that time. It was the Roman capital of Syria. And Antioch, it is situated 300 miles north from Jerusalem. That's kind of a long walk. And it also sits only... 16 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. So someone could sail to a port called Seleucia and then go over to Antioch. Antioch was this big Roman, you know, commercial center and Roman capital of all of that region. Well, it ends up that when the people who were scattered because of the stoning of Stephen, whenever they got to Antioch, they began to preach Jesus, but only to Jews. And so Jews were getting saved. They were becoming believers. And the church began in Antioch, and it began to grow. Well, along about that same time, the apostle Peter had an experience that he did not even believe was possible. The apostle Peter believed, like everybody else believed, that Jesus came to save Jews. And so the apostle Peter 
received a vision from God and went over where God told him to and it ends up that some Gentiles got saved. Now this is very important because it, it, it figures into why me and you are here today. Because you, you everybody here probably except uh, one or two, <laughs> are Gentiles, okay? And if this hadn't have happened in the Bible, you wouldn't be here. Peter believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ was only for Jews. And he had only been preaching to Jews. But God interrupted him and sent him to the house of Cornelius. And Cornelius and his family, Gentiles, they got saved. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and prophesied, and then he water baptized them because he could not deny that they had been born again and they had received the same Holy Spirit that he had received. And so he said, you are saved just like me. Wow, I didn't even know that was possible. But now I see what God is doing. And all of a sudden, the scriptures began to come alive and he began to see a light was turned on in his mind and he began to understand how that Jesus said that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have a you know everlasting life and Peter man the Peter went to Jerusalem. Boy, he took off to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, the rest of the disciples said to Peter, why in the world did you baptize these Gentiles in the name of Jesus? What's wrong with you, man? He said, well, let me tell you what happened. And when he got finished telling them, they began to rejoice. And they all began to understand and realize that Jesus came through the Jews to the Jews, but for the whole world. And they said, oh, great, wonderful. You know, Gentiles can be saved too. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Well, while Peter was there, you can read about it in Acts 11 before we get to where we're going to read. While Peter is in Jerusalem telling them all this, and they're going, great, 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 wonderful. Well, some people evidently are getting the message. This news starts spreading. And wouldn't you know it, a couple of renegade radical Jews from the island of Cyprus and from Serene, which is in North Africa and Libya, some radical born-again Jews, they went up to Antioch where that church was going pretty good. Wouldn't you know it, they began to tell Gentiles that they could be saved. The Gentiles were called Grecians. They're called Hellenists. They're Gentiles. But there, and oh my goodness, and those Gentiles in that Roman city began to believe that they could be born again too. And so they began to be born again. Well, this kind of blew everybody's mind. Now it's happening wholesale. It didn't just happen to one person. Now it's happening wholesale. We're talking about Gentiles and Jews are both getting born again. They're both coming to Jesus. They're both being spirit-filled. They're both, you know, being baptized. They're both, you know, changing their lives and, and worshiping God. Oh my, and together, oh my goodness. And they're even eating together. No! And then, and they're sitting, no! Yes! It was freaking everybody out. 
And the people in Jerusalem heard about it. And so they sent Barnabas, who was a young, spirit-filled Jew, a great teacher of the Word, a good man, okay? Man, he could teach, he could teach the Bible. They sent him up to Antioch to check on this, 300 miles north, okay? <laughs> Listen, he didn't own a bicycle, okay? This, this boy had to either walk over to Joppa or Caesarea, catch a boat and sail up, and then walk that other 16 miles, or he had to hoof it 300 miles north. Well, he gets to Antioch. He finds, man, that things are going on great there. Boy, uh, he, he doesn't see anything he's concerned about. Uh, he just needs some help. He needs some help teaching all these Gentiles and Jews. And so he thinks, who could help me? I wonder who could help me. Man, I'm needing some help here. Oh, I know. There is a man who was a very religious Jew who was persecuting the church and dragging believers off to jail. And they didn't want him in Damascus. They didn't want him in Jerusalem. And finally, he got a little disappointed, and he went on home. He lives in Tarsus. And Tarsus is only about, you know, 75 miles on farther up the road. That's nothing for somebody that just went 300 miles. I could walk right on up there to Tarsus and I could see if I can find this Saul of Tarsus because I know that he is probably the most educated man in the Jewish religion and he had a glorious salvation. It changed his life. He was persecuting the church and he became then a, a real, you know, a, a, a real a preacher of the gospel. And if these people could see that Jesus changed his life, then they would realize that there's hope for them. I mean, because he was, he was really against all of this. He could help us out. And so Barnabas goes up and, and finds Saul and brings him back. And for a whole year, they are there teaching People coming and going through the trade center. They're teaching everybody in Antioch. And, 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 and Jews and Gentiles are both in the church. And, 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 and Peter and, excuse me, uh, uh, the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the apostle Paul, and, and uh, Barnabas, they are teaching them the word of God. <laughs> no, they didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament is just being written, you know. Well, so they were teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ out of the Old Testament. Now, it's along about the year, 42 or 43, when we get to verse 19. All right? It's probably, you know, October, November, December, January, February, March, somewhere in there of A.D. 42, 43. Are you ready? All right. Here we go. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, as Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but to Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, the Gentiles, Preaching the Lord Jesus. <laughs> they had heard what Peter happened to Peter, and man, they were just going to give, give it a try. Why not? Well, that's a good lesson, by the way. Give it a try. You think, you, you think there's somebody in your world that can't be saved? Give it a try. You know, tell them about Jesus. <laughs> 
So they just went preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Wow. Then news of these things, and what things? The Gentiles are getting saved in Antioch now, not just one family, but lots of them, you know. And uh, then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Praise God. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found Saul, he brought him back to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Wow. Now that little phrase there, uh, you know, we can just read over that and read over it and read over it. But, but it is very important to what God was doing. It was very important uh, to us today realizing that that. Uh, that the apostle Paul and Barnabas had a great hand in what was going on there in Antioch. The church at Antioch became one of the most powerful and most productive churches in history. It was the very first church to fully accept and embrace Gentiles into the church that they could be saved. It was the very first church to accept and embrace the conversion of Saul. It was the very first church to reap the bountiful benefits that this scholar, Paul, the Apostle Paul, this scholar turned preacher of the gospel had how, what he knew about the Word of God. They were the very first ones to allow him to share the seeds of God's Word and to establish doctrine in the church. He was establishing his very first doctrine of grace. That Gentiles and Jews can be saved by grace through faith. He would later write that, it, that it's not of works, but only by grace. And that if any other doctrine is preached, let that person be cursed or even an angel from heaven. He was establishing the doctrine that we have in the New Testament today that God gave to us as Gentiles to understand how we could be included in God's plan. This is where Paul was cutting his teeth. It's the church that God sent him to that let him learn how to preach and learn how. To, it's the very first church that didn't run him off. The church in Damascus said, please leave. And he wreaked great havoc in the church in Jerusalem, you remember? And he had to leave there too because persecution was abounding because Paul was just, you know, uh, causing problems. This church accepted him like he was, and they let him be him for Jesus. This is the very first church to have laid their hands on the apostle and ordain him into the ministry and send him and supply for him out into his very first missions event. His very first mission trip was from Antioch. 
It's the very first church that got to support him and to see the gospel go from Antioch all the way to Rome, all throughout uh, Eurasia and all over the world right here from Antioch. This church is powerful. And disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Today I have two questions to present to us. The first question is, we know the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, but why? Why were these disciples called Christians in Antioch? Well, you might imagine that it's a complimentary term. I mean, let me tell you, not always. Scholars have debated over this for centuries because no one knows who call them Christians? You know, sometimes when you're called a name, even if you might identify with that name personally, you don't like nobody else labeling you. Hello? That's the way it works. We have to be very conscious that when, when you know, people call us something, is it something that we agree with? Is it complimentary or derogatory? We don't know. Maybe their enemies started calling them Christians. Maybe the community started calling them Christians. Maybe they started calling themselves Christians. We really don't know. But you know, not everybody that gets labeled is labeled complimentary. For example, the Quakers. <laughs> they didn't start calling themselves Quakers. Puritans, the Methodists. I know, Pentecostal. When somebody asks you, well, are, are y'all Pentecostal? You go, well, are you charismatic? Well, uh, it really depends on what you mean by charismatic. When somebody says, well, is Church on Rock a charismatic church? I'm, I'm going to go, well, what do you mean by charismatic? Do you mean charismaniac? <laughs> like we're running around and don't have any organization and we're just, you know, jumping through hoops, chasing the gifts and, and you know, and, 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 you know, uh, you know we're, we're, uh, what do you mean by charismatic? What do you mean by Pentecostal? Do you mean that, uh, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that we uh, don't cut our hair or we you know, uh, you know, don't wear jewelry? What do you mean by Pentecostal? Because not every label is a positive label. And we don't know whether the, whether, whether the term Christian was meant as a compliment or whether it was meant as, as, as a derogatory statement. Who named them Christians? I mean, today, if somebody calls you a Christian, or today, if somebody says, it's those Christians, do you want to identify with those people they're talking about? I mean, Christians get blamed for a lot of things that Jesus didn't do. But you know, I am Pentecostal. That means I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. I believe in healing. I am Pentecostal. I am charismatic. Charismatic means grace-filled. I am grace-filled. I'm Pentecostal charismatic. I'm full gospel. I'm Baptist. I'm Methodist. Come on now. I am the church of Christ. Hello? It depends on who's labeling me. If I'm labeling myself or who's labeling me. And what do they mean with that label? Meanings are in people, not in words. You know, uh, so they were called first, first called Christians in Antioch. But why? Well, let me give you my very, very best idea, okay? 
My best idea is that it was actually Saul, the Apostle Paul, that decided to call us Christians. This is my best. You can disagree with me if you want to, but I'm right. Uh, well, let me ask you this. Do you know how it feels when you're wrong? Have you ever been wrong and you go, uh? Well, I don't feel that way. <laughs> this is my best guess, you know, and I have, you know, I have a doctorate in theology, so I'm, I'm authorized to have an opinion, okay? My opinion, my studied opinion, is that it, something is, came up in the heart of Paul the Apostle. Because you see, the church in Antioch had potential division. Because they had Jewish Christians, Jewish believers, and Gentile believers. And in the Gentile group of believers, they had, no doubt, believers from Cyprus and Serene. They had African believers. They had uh, believers from the islands. They had Roman believers. They had believers of all kinds in the Gentiles. And in the Jews, they had Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians. And, and, and they had all kinds of people came from all kinds of cultures and customs and beliefs. And they all come together and they were being called Nazarenes. They were being called, you know, Galileans. They were being called disciples. They were being called believers. But I believe that the Apostle Paul was wise enough to say we need to identify ourselves not by our culture, our custom, not by our heritage, not by any other former ideology or religion, but we need to be followers of Christ. And that's good enough for me. It doesn't matter to me whether you were a Jew or whether you were born a Jew or born a Gentile or a Roman or, or a, you know, a, a, whoever you are, you are a Christian. You are a Christian. Three times the word Christian is mentioned in the Bible. Once here, once by the Apostle Paul when he's arguing uh, Christianity, he was arguing with King Agrippa, and King Agrippa says, almost Paul, you persuade me to be a Christian. So evidently it was palatable to Paul and Paul had been sharing the idea that even a king can become a Christian. You can take a step up, king. You can, you can be more than a king. You can, be, you, you, know, you can be more than your race or former religion or culture or custom or, or man or woman or you know, uh, whatever an identity is that you might hold on to and that you can continue to hold on to under the covering that I am first a born again again believer and follower of Jesus Christ and every Christian is my brother my sister so a second a third time the word Christian is mentioned is in first Peter 4 16 when Peter says that if you suffer because you are a Christian so evidently that term was was usable to him it was embraceable to him he said, if you suffer because you're a Christian, don't be ashamed. Because the glory of God is resting on you. So I submit to you, don't be ashamed to be a Christian. Don't be ashamed. To identify with them, uh, to identify them with Jesus Christ. That's the reason why. Why did, you know, why were they first called Christians? It was to identify them with Jesus. 
who is the Christ. I don't think any, their enemies would have called them Christians. They might have called them Jesusans. Because you see, Christ identifies Jesus as Messiah. A real, true, bona fide son of Almighty God. A Messiah. So to be called Christian, wow. Well, let me ask you, you know, uh, are you uh, a real Christian? You know real Christians, those are the Christians. Those are the ones you won't cuss around, the ones you won't, you know. Okay, never mind. Um, our second question, we'll cut to the chase here. You know, they were first called Christians in Antioch to identify them with Jesus, the Christ. But what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, the word Christian comes from the Greek word uh, Christianos. And it literally means follower of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, follower of Christ. And if you'll look up the eight times that the word follower is mentioned in the New Testament, is used in the New Testament, seven of those times, it comes from the Greek word mimites, which means to imitate. It's where we get the word imitate from. So to be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian, means to be someone who is imitating Christ. It means you've looked at what Jesus did, and you are doing it too. You are doing your best to be like him. That's what a Christian is. Every time you're called a Christian, just step up to the plate, stick your chest out and say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I am one who's seeing him through the pages of God's word, and I am imitating him. I'm doing everything I can to be just like him. Well, let me quickly give us the three things I think that are essential in order to be a real follower of Christ. No, not because your mom and dad were saved, not because your grandmother saved, not because you're a member of the church, not because you were baptized as a child, not for any other reason other than you have come to the place in life where you have asked him to be your Lord and your Savior and you have decided to follow him. I want to be like Jesus, okay? Well, what does it take? Number one essential to be like Jesus is love. Number one essential. I'm going to read some scriptures here rather quickly. You can write them down or go back and look at the notes later. But the number one essential thing that you need in your life, if you are going to imitate Jesus, if you're going to be like him, if you're going to be a Christian, is love. John 13, 35, Jesus said this, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the way other people will know you're a follower of mine. If they can see that you are loving other people. How in the world can people see that you're loving somebody? It's not by what you say. They can't see it with your words. They have to see it by what you do. You see, love is action. Love is not just what you say. You can say it all day long. God said you can say that you love somebody. But if you don't reach out of your heart and reach out of your goods and help them, then you don't. You're just lying to yourself. Hello? Well, that's good stuff. Love is action. John, 1 John 3, 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Do something. If you love somebody, do something. Come on. Yeah. You know, and if we're going to imitate Jesus, we don't, can't just love our friends. Luke 6, 27. Jesus saying, 
But I say to you who hear, well, listen, how many of you will hear this morning? If you will hear this, this is just Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying if you can hear it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Okay. You want to imitate Jesus? Number two, forgive. Forgiveness is a part, one of the major, big essentials of being like Christ. I mean, come on now. We bank on him forgiving us, don't we? If I want to be like Christ, I've got to forgive people. Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, uh, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And then they divided his garments and they, they cast lots. I mean, here they are about, they've beaten him and about to crucify him. And he's saying, God, forgive them. They don't, they don't understand. Listen, your enemies do not, your enemies don't know what they're doing. People that persecute you, say bad things to you at school or at work or on the job. People that are trying to hurt you, people that don't like you, they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're nutty. Have some compassion on crazy people. Matthew 6. Jesus, when he's closing and telling people how to pray, a, a, a part of the model prayer is, uh, and, and, and forgive us our debts, God, just like we forgive our debtors. You know, if we want to imitate him, we need to forgive people, you know, uh, who, who have trespassed, who have offended us. Verse 14, he, uh, Jesus said, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. I don't know how many of you need for some forgiveness, but I do. I need it. You know what I better do? I better forgive you. I better forgive people who trespassed against me, who hurt me, who offended me, who said bad things about me, who didn't stop and help me, who didn't, you know, put an extra tomato on my hamburger. I better forgive those people because I order them every time. And many times they think it means no tomatoes. And I get down the road, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Have mercy. Forgive. Number three, give. Give. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to give. Galatians 1, 4. Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. Just like Jesus loved the church and gave himself. Giving yourself. First yeah. Timothy 2.6. Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You know, in due time, at the set time, in the right season, everybody will know if you really loved, if you really forgave, and if you were a giver. They will. It'll all come out and let it be a testimony to us in due time. Titus 2.14 Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. I am so glad. Whew. He gave himself so that I could be set free. 
He gave to set me free. He did something to take a burden off my shoulders. He did something that I could not manage myself. He did something for He gave Himself so that I could be set free from lawless deeds. Man. Gosh. Thank you, Jesus. God wants us to be a reflection of Jesus Christ in this lost and hurting world. So let me admonish you this morning to love, to be like Christ, be a Christian. Forgive. I know it's not easy, but you can do it. And be a giver. Help people with their needs. Amen. God bless you.